Acts 2, verses 14 to 24. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. People of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. That's a challenging passage, isn't it? Yes, yes let's pray for this man. And for us, Lord, um, you are the God who pours yourself out through your word, through your Holy Spirit, always coming towards us in love. So as David speaks, uh, may we sense your movement among us and may our lives be shaped for your glory. Amen. Today we come to the third study in this new series, which as you can see, I think, I hope, as the title, The Acts of the Apostles, Journeying with the Early Church in a Time of Change. And the passage we've just heard follows on immediately from last week's Pentecost reading, <coughs> giving the dramatic story of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in an altogether new way on the gathered infant church. On that occasion, Many visitors to Jerusalem from other parts of that ancient world heard Galilean Jews, that was residents of Jerusalem, the apostles, speaking out boldly in tongues, which on that occasion really meant speaking in the native languages spoken by those visitors about the powerful works God had been doing. Well, these visitors who spoke these other languages were utterly amazed. They could hardly take it in. So it really was something utterly new and strange. They sensed, I think, that they were being led into something new, just a new era, perhaps. Now, back in that first century, <coughs> the Jews as a whole were a people full of longing and hope 
that there would soon be a great act of God which would bring radical change to their lives and a great future. This was a future long promised, planned for and agonised over. A moment when things would work out right at last, when great hopes would be realised and good times would begin. That is how the Jews of that time read, studied, memorised, <coughs> prayed over and puzzled over many of their scriptures. They saw themselves then as the generation for whom it should all come true. In the Old Testament book of Daniel, for example, they found almost what they could have perhaps called a kind of travel brochure that kept them moving forward. If only they kept going on long enough, they would surely, eventually, arrive at the destination. And some of these old texts spoke of the signs they would see when they arrived at that new moment. Signs that would say, you're here. This is where you were going. And this is where Peter the Apostle and his address comes centre stage. Peter received the insight to quote quite a chunk from the Old Testament prophecy from the book of Joel to explain the, the meaning of those amazing events at Pentecost. Listen and look, he seemed to say, quoting Joel, the last days have truly come. That's how the quotation begins. The last days? What's that? What do we make of that expression? Sounds a bit odd, doesn't it, really? How many last days are there to be, we might perhaps ask. <clears throat> well, it's not too complicated, actually. In fact, it was a general term used for that great time to come, the time when promises would be fulfilled. The journey would reach its destination, and so all sorts of new things could be expected to start happening. So Peter wasn't simply giving an explanation for that strange behaviour of the apostles at Pentecost. It was really a kind of challenge he was throwing out. We've arrived. Yes, the journey's actually over, believe it or not. Look at the signs and consider how this is going to affect you. Now, let's not confuse the last days, plural, with the last day, singular. In God's plan, there does remain another day, a moment, <coughs> a coming time, which the Old Testament prophets often spoke of as the day of the Lord. And the early Christians, really pretty daringly, took that idea of the day of the Lord and continued using it, but with the Lord referring to Jesus. So they transferred the, 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 the title Lord directly <coughs> to Jesus. So really they were placing him on all fours with God, you could say, the Lord. So to try and put this simply, hopefully, those early Christians were convinced that they were living in a period of time between the moment when the last days had been launched through the outpouring of God's Spirit, and the moment when those last days would come to an end on the day of the Lord. 
sometimes called simply the day or that day. That's what we sometimes find in the New Testament, a kind of shorthand. So we here today, living in the 21st century, we are living in that period which is often called the last days. So there is that kind of overlap between um, the present, these last days, and the very last day, with the last days having a kind of a real forward look to them. And of course we do await the final return of Jesus as Lord when, following final judgment, heaven and earth will be joined together in a new creation, God's great coming renewal of all things on a cosmic scale. Now perhaps we could have a, should have a little breather at the moment, perhaps. Perhaps we all need to stand back, as it were, and take just a minute or two to really ponder these things. I mean, after all, are they not truly momentous, if you think about them? Amazing, pretty mind-blowing, the last days, and then the day of the Lord and all that's going to be involved? Don't they give us a sense of the sweep of history and of God as Lord of history? And is it not a great thing for each one of us to be convinced that as disciples of Jesus who trust in him for our salvation, each one of us has our place in that history? We're not living meaninglessly. We have our place in that history because we are his disciples. And we're able to make our own contribution as God's plan moves on to its great goal. Well, I believe so. I believe that that is truly a great thing. And these are momentous truths. Now, as we listened to some of Joel's words, I wonder if any of us, uh, us were a bit puzzled and wondered what is this all about. I'm thinking of verses 19 and 20, page 1032. I'll just quote a little bit of them. Signs in the heavens above, portents on earth beneath, blood and fire, clouds of smoke, the sun will be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood before the day of the Lord comes. Well, I wonder how we responded to that. Um, how were we meant to get an understanding of this? Is this language literal, or is it perhaps metaphorical and poetic? Well, you'll find that there are different views, but I do suggest that there is one helpful way to understand it, that this is the prophet's way of talking about what we would probably call earth-shattering events, things in society and global politics that would shape to the foundations what we call the fabric of society. Terrifying times are great instability and uncertainty. Well, perhaps some of us might feel that the times we are now in aren't far from that kind of thing, with all the uncertainty and change that's happening. I don't need to go into any details, do I? You can all think of the upheaval and the change that's going on. Um, <clears throat> but nonetheless, uh, the real message here is that it is God who is the Lord of human history. No prime ministers, no politicians, nobody else human, 
God is Lord of history and he has his ultimate goal and it will come. But Peter's use of Joel's words tells us that the last days are very much a time of new creation and the new creation would start with God's own people. Now Peter connects Pentecost directly with Joel's promise that God would pour out his spirit in a new way and this speaks to us, or certainly can do, vividly of God's abundance and generosity. The verb used here is actually to pour out, which could perhaps give us a picture of a heavy tropical rainstorm. Certainly not a shower, but a real downpour, a great soaking. The nearest to a tropical rainstorm I've ever experienced was a great downpour in the Bavarian Alps, and that was something I can tell you. Anybody getting caught in that would be utterly drenched. And that perhaps is, uh, uh, you know, another image we could use. God, we're, we're, God wants us to be, wants us to be in, in a way, you could say, almost drenched in his spirit, so that we receive the blessings that the spirit can bring in the fullest way. Now, before this outpouring, God has acted by his spirit among his people, but it's always been by inspiring one chosen person here, one or two there. Chosen kings, prophets, priests, or righteous, devout people according to God's choice. But now, in a sudden burst of fresh divine energy released through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God's Spirit has been poured out on a lot of his people all at once. So, this great gift, this outpouring is available for absolutely anyone. There is no discrimination of any kind at all. This gift is a work of God which you can say is wonderfully inclusive because there is no category of people left out. Both genders, all ages, all social classes. You can't get more inclusive than that. Absolutely no human status, low, middle, high, or anything else. God's gracious spirit available in his fullness for all. And it's also wonderfully focused. Because it happens to, as Peter puts it, all, all who call on the name of the Lord. All who call on the Lord's name will be saved. How vital God's gift, the outpouring of his spirit, is then in relation to the work of salvation and mission in all its form, all its varied kinds and forms, healing and bringing people to repentance and, and, and all else, as that goes on among God's people, the church, and spreads out to the world around in so many different ways, which is, of course, what should always be happening. Salvation is a huge theme. We can only scratch the surface at the moment. But essentially, it means rescue. Being rescued from the power of sin, guilt, and death through the power revealed in Jesus, which in the present time anticipates 
God's final great act of deliverance, the full coming of his new creation which is going on in the present. Can we ever lay too much emphasis on the need for God's gift of his spirit, the spirit of Jesus in our lives, your life and mine, and empowering all that the church does, should be doing in his name? Well, I certainly don't think so. Mike referred to that celebration in relation to um, the, the prayer initiative, Thy Kingdom Come, a few little while ago. And if any of you were able to be at that, you might remember how the Archbishop, Justin, began his address. I found it very succinct, quite terse and arresting. So I'd like us just to finish with this. The words are up on the screen. So I'll just speak them out twice. And I think it would be good if we just took them away with us and thought about them, um, perhaps in relation to our everyday lives. Not just what happens here on Sundays, but every day as members of Christ's body. Without the Holy Spirit, the church is simply a club, and not necessarily one you might want to join. With the Holy Spirit, the club becomes the church. Without the Holy Spirit, the church is simply a club, and not necessarily one that you might want to join. With the Holy Spirit, the club becomes the church. Amen.